The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Today is the uh, continuation of our series on grace which means I'll be back in my uh, special suit uh, preaching today. And so we remember, and I know I keep putting this on, but I want to make sure that we remember this, okay? No matter what happens in your life, there'll be a time when you come and say, he put it on backwards. I don't think I've ever gotten it right, but you know what? I'm just going with it. Uh, that we will be able to say, you know what? I know how grace works because there's two kinds of grace. There's this kind of grace. It's the grace that saves us, Okay? I love putting this thing on backwards and messed up. Every single week I watch some of you guys squirm. And if nothing else happens in this series, we're going to break a few of you legalistic OCD people free from the bondage of your life. Totally set you free. Wait, if this doesn't help you, nothing will. This one's going all the way across and backwards. Boom. Be set free. In Jesus' name. Be set free from your legalism and your... Distress, okay, the grace that, set, that saves us, okay, which we have to be humble enough to come to the cross and say, Lord, I need your grace, help me, okay, and then there's a grace that empowers us, the Bible talks about it, but there's a grace that empowers us to shine in the world around us, to stand out, to be visible, for people to see us and go, wow, they live different than we do, wow, they handle things different. Wow, they lost their job, but they still have peace. Wow, they're going through a health crisis, but they still have joy. Wow, they seem to have all these things going on, but they still serve and love, and they take care of people, and they live differently than I do. And that's a grace that empowers us to live like Jesus. And so it's important to have both. Okay, if we don't keep a recognition that we have been saved by God's grace, we lose humility, we become proud, legalistic, arrogant, we drive people away from the cross. If we only have that, but we never change our lives and we're not visibly different, people look at us and say, I don't know what God did for you, but you look the same as me. And so we become irrelevant to them when they're in a place of need. We want to be able to show that God loved us, that God saved us by living a life that causes people to say, I need that, I want that when they're struggling. Okay, so today we're getting into another area. We're going to get into one, and I left a clue on Facebook video that I did which uh, me and Kira made together, uh, my little tiny assistant who's back in nursery now. Uh, but I said that this is an area that has affected you since you were her size and has affected you all the way through growing up, whatever size and age you are now. It affects you at the age that you currently are, and it's going to affect you until you are gone. That's how long this particular thing is going to be a part of your life. And God's grace is coming into your life today through his word, not my word, but his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you will listen and allow it to get into your heart, God's grace will come to impact this area. And the area that we're talking about today is time. Time starts just the minute you're conceived. Boom. And it never stops. It's always moving. It's always going forward. It's always progressing. Constant. Never stops. We're going to get into Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15, and we're going to read this. It says, There's a time for everything and a season 
for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. Some of you think you're listening to a Beatles song, but you're not. It was here first, right? There's a time for everything, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and there's a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. That God's gift to us is to actually not just go through life as a grind, but to stop, to enjoy it, to work, and to enjoy what he's given us and what he's doing in our life. It says that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction and toil. This is the gift from God. And I know that everything that God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Now when it says fear, it means respect and honor and to care about what God is saying, what God is doing, and to follow him. It says, whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past into account. So this is the base of what we're talking about, is that God is saying that there is a season for everything, and that God already knows the seasons, and that God knows what's happening, God knows the timing, and God has a plan for everything. Now, we don't live that way. We tend to live in a way that totally disregards seasons. Okay, imagine if I was to have a garden and I was going to produce some food in that garden and I plant it and it's supposed to bring forth a crop, say, in the middle of the spring, towards the end of spring. And it's December and I go out and I look at the garden and it's still dirt. Or I see the plants and there's branches everywhere and there's nothing on it. And I storm back in the house and I slam the door and I come in the house, I throw my stuff on the counter. I said, you know what, I am not going to garden anymore. My wife says, why not? Because nothing is growing. And she says, it's December. Be quiet, woman. I listen to you tell me how to garden. Get angry about this. No, it's, it's December. It's not supposed to grow. But I'm working hard. And I'm planting and watering and weeding. And I'm muddy and I'm dirty. And it's supposed to grow. Now I'm upset. In fact, I'm not even giving up gardening. I'm moving. I'm calling Kyle Bertels to sell my house. I'm moving to a condo with no yard and no gardens because I'm going to get bitter and angry and harden my heart against gardening because nothing grows. That would be pretty silly, wouldn't it? And yet we live sometimes where we put effort into or invest into something and we don't see the fruit. And our response is, you know what? God's a liar. 
I've been working hard at trying to be faithful in church or trying hard to bring healing to this relationship. I've been giving. I'm still poor. I've been doing all these things, and it just doesn't work. Man, I, I, I've been trying to work hard at my job, and the Bible says if you see someone that's skilled in their labor, labor they'll serve before kings and not ordinary men. And I'm working hard at my job, and I'm not getting promoted. In fact, a friend of mine just got promoted, and he doesn't even work as hard as me. Probably won't even be his friend anymore. Never liked him anyway. Don't even like this job. Tired of working hard. God doesn't come through for me. And we think this way. And then we respond and live this way. But what this verse in, in Ecclesiastes is telling us is that there's a season. There's a time to sow and there's a time to reap. There's a time to be hurt and a time to be healed, a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. That there's seasons. And just because we're believers in Jesus, just because God is our friend and loves us, doesn't mean that we get to live without seasons. There is no spiritual San Diego where it's always 75 degrees. No. There's spiritual Texas where you sweat to death and die and you wish that you could come back to winter. There's probably spiritual Bend where you freeze to death half the time. But in God, there's always seasons where things are happening. And if we can wrap our mind around that and understand that, you know, this is a season. It can take some of the anxiety and the stress and the frustration out. And we live in this mad, crazy, often dark world where everyone is stressed out and anxious and frustrated and they're trying and striving and trying to get somewhere and to do something and to make something happen. And we can actually live in peace and in joy because even if something's not happening right now, we can have peace because you know what? It'll come in its season. It'll come in the right time. It'll come when God has it set up for us to happen. And we can trust him. So we're going to get into different kinds of time. The first one is chronos. And this is actually a Greek god. It's where we get chronology. This is chronological time. It's 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It's January, February, March, April. I'm 20, 21, 22, 40, 45, 50, 75. It just keeps happening over and over again. You can't stop that. That's chronos. And it's actually a god that was worshipped in ancient Greece. And there was a drawing that they would do, a painting that they would do where chronos was this gangly, just ravenous, awful-looking man. And laid across his lap was his son. And he was literally pulling him apart and eating his flesh. And that was the picture of the God, and they worshipped, and they tried to satisfy Kronos. And the reason for the, the imagery is that it was to signify that he always devours. He never gives back. He just takes and devours and eats, even his own children. And time does that. Time is always happening. It puts this pressure on us that we always feel like, you know what, maybe I'm not measuring up. I'm not doing good enough. I'm trying to change, but I'm not there yet. I'm not as far as that person. It brings in comparison. And, you know, I'm not as, uh, doing as well as I thought I would do at this age. And I didn't get this accomplished. And I was going to... And it just creates all these anxieties and stresses that just keep moving forward and forward and forward in our life. And we begin to follow that. If we're not careful, we begin to live by that. And it dictates our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings. Because it's just how we live. Boy, the day's over. I didn't get as much done as I thought I would. Oh, tomorrow's coming. 
oh, I'm going to be running behind tomorrow. And we just get into this pattern of living and serving this idea of time devouring and running over our lives. The other kind of time is called kairos, and it's really a, a time that the Bible talks about in the Sabbath. It's time set aside. It's time for a season. It's time for this to happen. It's time for that to happen. It's not based on a clock. It's based on a moment. It's based on an experience. It's based on relationship. It's based on a season that's set aside that God has for us to do something. And so um, way, the way that we see that is that God will give us a season in something, and then he'll switch it. And if we're focused solely on the movement of time, we miss what's happening in the moment. One example of that would be uh, Carl Krause. This is my wife's dad. This was Heidi's husband, who's gone on to heaven already. But towards the end of his, of his life, at his job, he was just a short time from coming to the end of his job where he was going to get the full benefits, being there like however many years, 30 years, is he there? 40 years, 30, he was there forever. Never late, never missed days of work, super faithful, and he gets close to retirement, and they let him go, because once you hit retirement, you get full benefits. Basically said, okay, you're done. We gotta, we gotta cut down, but they cut down and just rehired younger, and let him go. Well, at first, that's a frustration. It's a stress, right? Because of Kronos. It's, I've been living towards this time, and now it's been pulled out from under me. And then what happened, because God doesn't see that way, God sees in seasons, and he sees in moments and he sees in things that he's trying to accomplish and to do for his purpose is that in that season it turned out tragically that Carl had cancer. Now the last four or five years of his life in his home during this season he may have lost his job and he may have lost that according to timing of things but what God used it for was to give him those last years of his life to enjoy his family to enjoy the property that he worked so hard to get, to take some trips and vacations, to do some things that before, time was consuming everything. He'd go to work in the daytime, he came home and he worked at night. He had a job, and then he had his own business in the evenings, he'd come home and work. And time was always just knocking at the door. Something else to do, something else to do. But God saw the whole picture of what was happening and said, you know what, you're going to lose this job, but it's not... A a negative. It's not a curse. It's not because somebody's taken away from you. It's because I'm giving you an opportunity to slow down and to enjoy what I've given you. And had that not happened, he wouldn't have been able to experience that. His family wouldn't have had that time with him to be there. Because God sees things that we don't see. And God's looking at the moment and the season and what he wants to do in it. And if we can move out of this lock into the chronological time of everything and say, you know what, God, I know and I trust you that there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger plan. You're doing something. I'm in a season of this or I'm in a season of that, but there's a reason that you're doing this. That it can bring peace into our life. And so great, the first thing, part of time that, that grace comes into our life and works on is it empowers our present life, what we're living in right now. Now here's a verse out of Luke chapter 10 verse 38 to 42. This is the story of Mary and Martha. This was two sisters. It says, Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
And she came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? So here's Jesus sitting, teaching. Now he's only here for a short time, a short season of of humanity. This little sliver of a window. And he's sitting teaching. And one sister is sitting at his feet listening and spending that time. The other one is just frantically working and busying herself and getting everything done. And she comes frustrated and says, are you going to do anything about her? She's not helping me. And Jesus' basic response is, she's chosen the better thing. She has stopped the busyness that's required, and she's sitting in the moment that I've made. This is a moment. This is going to be gone. It won't come back. And she's chosen the better thing. And so the grace of God empowers us to take advantage of the moments that he makes in our present day life to slow down and to do it despite the busyness, despite the chaos, despite the things that we need to get done. Here's another verse in Psalms 127. It says, In vain you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Man, there's hard work. And there's hard workers that work the hard work. But God has planned to give you rest. If you're a hard worker, if you're somebody that gets up in the morning and says, man, I've got to go get the job done, I've got to provide for my family, i got to do this. You can trust God enough to slow down and breathe. To enjoy your family. To enjoy the things that he's given you. To trust that he will still provide for you. It wasn't God's intention for you to toil from morning until dark every day without rest. God is a good God, and he is a provider, and he will take care of you. It takes trust, it takes faith, but you can slow it down and say, God, I need your grace to empower me and give me the faith that I need to maybe stop for a minute and to just enjoy the life that you give me. God wants you to do that. God has designed you for that. And if you don't do it, eventually you'll burn out. And crash, and then you have to take a big, long, extended amount of time off, and it will catch up to you. There's an old song that I remember since I was a kid. I'm going to read a little bit of it, not all of it, and I'm not going to sing it, but there's an old song that really captures this and what we can miss if we don't allow God's grace to empower us to live differently when it comes to time. And it's an old song called Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. Anybody know that song? It's a very powerful song. It gets across this point, but here's a few of the verses. It says, this is the dad singing. He says, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. Let me just tell you this, man. I'm getting a little bit emotional, but God is your father. It's easy for us to read this and say, well, it's about us. And it is, but there's a bigger picture. God wants you to spend time with him. And he wants to spend time with you. And he wants you to spend time with your family. God wants relationship and connection. And so think of it even in that perspective of God wanting time 
and the busyness that can pull it away, and the chronos that can devour and pull away time and intimacy and connection and make you so busy that there's not time to pray or to read your word or to get together with a friend or to sit down with your child or to take your spouse on a date, and it will devour everything good that God has for you. It goes on, it says, He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. You know, our kids are watching us. They're watching if you take time for them. They're watching if you take time to be with Jesus. They're watching if you take time to pray or to be in your word or to love on somebody or to just sit down and take a break and breathe and trust God. They're watching these things. And so then the dad tells him back, he says, little boy blue, the man on the moon, when are you coming home, dad? The son says, I don't know when. He says, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. He's telling us, we're going to do it. We're going to get together. We'll get together later. It's going to happen. But Kronos just keeps eating time. And it goes on. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? And he said, not today. There's planes to catch. There's jobs to do. But we'll get together soon. He goes from 10, and he moves on up. He says, you know, we'll have a good time then. He says, well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man I just had to say. I'm so proud of you. Can we sit down for a while? And he shook his head, and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. The opportunity, the moment for relationship And the song goes on to eventually the dad is old and calling his son and saying, man, can I come over? Can I see the grandkids? Can we do something? He says, man, dad, we're on the go. We're on the move, but we'll get together soon. And the opportunity's lost. You know, we're alive one time. And God doesn't intend for it to be devoured by just busyness. God, through his grace, wants to empower you to live a life that can take advantage of the moments, that can shut things down and care about the person next to you, that can shut things down and spend time with him to be refreshed. I don't have time for that. He died to have time with you, literally. And we should be dying to have time with him, at least figuratively. That's what God wants. He wants to connect, and he wants us to connect with each other, and grace can empower that. My mom passed away, I don't know, eight years ago probably. I don't do the keep track of the date thing. I just know she's gone. And I know I'm thankful for the time that she is here. My mom was the worst at times. I was always late to school. School would get out at 3 o'clock. My mom would pick me up at 4.30, 5 o'clock. Everybody's gone. I'm just sitting out there. Seven of us kids, and my mom had no clue on how to do time. And when I was older, I was working at a church in Vancouver, Washington, and I was running a ministry there for single uh, moms, and we were doing a class in one room, and then the other room, the kids would get watched. And so my mom loved little kids. Her entire backyard looked like a Disneyland for kids. Every imaginable toy was back there. Every little tyke, step two, Fisher Price, it was all back there. And inside, you can even walk without stepping on toys. And so I told my mom, I said, hey, come help. You can watch the kids in the class. It'll be awesome. We start at 
optional times. We start at 7 o'clock. To my mom, that meant just come anytime and hang out with the kids. And so she would come, and I'm trying to start a class. I need these kids watched so that I can get this class going, which is helping with life skills and job skills. And my mom wouldn't be there. And the Kronos thing in my heart would get so mad. Where is she? Why isn't she here yet? I get so frustrated that all I'd want to do by the time she got there is just chew her out and say, Mom, it was always like this. And Mom, when I was growing up, you never even got me to school on time. And Mom, we, this is true, we always did Christmas after Christmas. She couldn't even be on time for Christmas. That's true. We opened our presents in January. You know why? After Christmas sales. She can get a better deal and get more presents. And so we waited. Okay, it's Christmas. Friends are calling you. What'd you get? I got nothing. We're sitting around staring at a tree. My mom's late. I wish Santa Claus was real because at least he shows up the night before. Leaves us something. But I just want to chew her out and tell her what I thought. But I didn't do it because grace working in me empowered me to say, no, I'm going to just savor the moments. There's nothing wrong with my mom. She wasn't sick. There was no reason to try to savor the moments other than that's the will of God in our life. And she'd show up late. And I'd say, oh, I'm glad you could make it. And she had no money. They'd lost everything back in the 2000 crash, lost their home, lost their cars, lost their apartments, lost everything. And she'd show up with a brand new pair of little shoes or some other thing that she got some kid she saw the week before that was missing something, didn't have a shirt, didn't have a lunch pail, didn't have a pair of shoes. And she'd show up, walk in there, <coughs> set the kid up on the counter, start putting the shoes on, you know, happy as can be, smiling, putting the shoes on, so cute, and the mom's happy. I'm thinking, huh, that's great, but it could have been done like 20 minutes ago so we could start this class. My mom did that with me for about three months, and then she passed away with a sudden brain aneurysm. She was gone like that. Sometimes in life, we get caught spending all of our energy looking at the clock instead of at the shoes. God wants to slow us down. Because even if you're on time for this, you'll probably be late for something else. God wants to slow us down and say, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I want you to do. Take a moment and just be. And let me do something through you. But it takes us slowing down to do it. To see the person at work that's struggling. To see that our kid just needs to talk. To go and take our wife out because we see that she just needs a break. To do the things that God wants us to do relationally and connect it together with him and with others. And to watch and keep our eyes on the shoes and not the clocks. The other thing that God wants us to have empowered in our life when it comes to time is our future. His grace empowers us to see our future differently. Here's a couple of verses. James chapter 4 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. So you should say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. We can get so caught up in the future and saying, well, we're doing this, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going on, and we don't even know. 
The problem with that is that most of the time in our negativity, the future that we see isn't that great. Well, I bet you next week this person won't be very nice to me or talk to me. I bet you my relationship won't be better. I bet you I'll still be broke. I bet you I can't pay my bills. We have all these things that we're shooting out there and thinking about. I'll be stuck in the same rut. It's not going to get any better. God said, you know what? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't have any idea. Or we make these huge plans, and they're so big and so expansive that God's trying to come and say, hey, come this way. Do this thing. We're like, I'm too busy. I got a better plan. And we miss what God would have taken us to do. Most of Jesus' miracles happened along the way. If you read through your Bible, it'll say, and along the way. He's going somewhere important. He's doing chronos. He's on his way to an event. Something's happening. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the passages you're reading about his travels, it'll say, and on the way. The lady pushes through the crowd and grabs the hem of his garment and gets healed. Along the way, somebody comes up and says, my son is dead. And he raises him. Along the way, a beggar cries out from the side of the street. He stops and sees it. Along the way, with the crowd pressing around, an evil, selfish, wicked tax collector who's taken advantage of his own people is climbed up in a tree trying to get an eye on Jesus because he wants to change his life. And along the way, in the crowd, in the busyness, in the chronos activity, Jesus looks and says, I see the guy in the tree. That's how God wants us to live. He wants us to live at a pace in our spirit and in our heart and in our emotions where we can see what's happening around us and in the future. Not have our future so dialed in that we don't have time to look around us as we go that direction. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the plans that God has for you. So we don't have to worry or to stress about getting there fast enough because whenever we get there, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. We don't have to worry that it's not going to turn out well because God's already said he's for us. He's preparing for us. He's got a place ready for us. Jesus even said when he's going to heaven that I go to prepare a place for you. He's up there right now getting heaven ready. So when we get there, man, it's going to all be decked out in Patriots banners and gear, deflated footballs everywhere, just floating on them. It's going to be amazing. He's preparing a place for us already. The other place that God wants to empower is our past. Some of you in here have some pretty ugly pasts. It's not worth remembering. It's not worth thinking about. It's not something that you ever want to go back to. It's not something that you even want to admit is a part of your life. Here's some verses on your past. Joel 2.25. God said, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, and the other locusts, and the locusts that swarm, basically any swarming, crazy locust that comes and eats all of your crops, so then you feel like you're starving to death, and your life is barren and has nothing left. God wants to bring restoration to that. Well, I was raised so bad, it just ruined my emotions and my mind, and it stripped me of all my confidence. God wants to restore your confidence. Oh, I've had anxiety and fear since I was little because these... God wants to restore it. 
I made mistakes and I lost all my faith because it just didn't work out and it didn't come through. God wants to restore your faith. Everything that's been stripped away, God wants to restore through his goodness and his kindness and his love. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Not just life, abundant, prosperous, amazing life inside and outside. That's what God wants to bring into you, into your world. It's what he has for you. We hear that time heals all wounds. I can tell you from my wife's experiences with two different shoulder surgeries that that's a lie. Time does not heal wounds. It worsens them. It scars them. It eventually disables you. Jesus heals wounds, not time. Jesus heals wounds. Now, once the healing is happening, once the work is done, he'll work through time for the fullness and the wellness to come. But time on its own is not a healer. It's a devourer. It disables. The place that I came from, full of anxiety and stress and alcoholism and all these things, and I've shared this before, you know, I was abused sexually abused when I was five by a cousin of mine. Time wasn't healing any of that. It was making me more warped and demented, screwing with my mind and causing me all kinds of weird thoughts and all types of emotions. It wasn't healing anything. Jesus healed. God wants to redeem your time and bring healing into your life. And then as he restores and redeems, he wants to empower your past and you've heard this before, but to no longer be your mess, but to become your message. Where this is where I was, but this is what God's done, and because God has done this for me, I believe he can do it for you, and God wants to empower your past to become your purpose and to help other people. And so God wants to work through these areas of your life if you allow him to. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. All things. The Greek for that is all. All things. There's nothing that's happened in your life that God can't use for his good and glory to bring a benefit out of it to someone. All of it God wants to use. All of it God wants to make a purpose out of. All of it. Every single piece of it. I saw a video, there was a guy who was up at a platform like this, and there's a big crowd, and there's a uh, pro-life uh, march thing, and this guy comes up, and he's talking, and he said something in there. His mom was raped, that's how he was born. And he's made a statement in that. He said, you know, I'm not the product of my mom's rape, I'm a product of her perseverance. That was so powerful, just a change in a perspective. That even something negative became something powerful in this guy's life to move forward and to help other people and to persevere. If we allow God's grace to come in and change the way that we see things, it'll change the way that we experience them. And it will change what comes out of them in the end. That's what God wants to do. So here's the three steps that God wants to take you through. One is that you have to give God your past. You have to give it to him. Not just talk to him about it, just give it to him. Lord, this is my past. 
This is the things that have happened to me. These are the things I've done to others. This is my past. You can have it. Just give it to him. So that it's in his hands, so that he can do something with it. Don't keep it in yours and just always talk to him about it. Hand it to him and say, Lord, can you do something with this? Can you make something out of this? Can you change this? Can you turn this into something good? Just give it to him. The other is to trust him with your future. Really, really, really trust him. When worry comes up, don't let it in. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Just give it to him. Lord, I don't know what's coming tomorrow, but I know that you are preparing it for me, and I know that you're good, so I'm not worried. I'm not stressed about it. And then the last one, if you've done those two things, and this last one's only possible if you've done the first two. If you've given God your past so you don't have to live there, if you're trusting with your future so you don't have to worry about it, guess what it frees you to do? It frees you to fully and completely engage the present and to be here in the time and in the moment that God has made for you to be in. My mom didn't know she was going to be gone like that. She had a car full of kids she was taking to a summer Bible camp. Parked on the side of the parking lot of the apartment, waiting for a couple more grandkids to come out and get in the car. You don't know if you'll be here tomorrow. I don't know if I'll be here tomorrow. The one thing we can know is that we can give ourselves fully to the moments that God is giving us now. And don't let worry or stress or anxiety or the future or regrets from the past take away from that, but just give those to God and say, God, I'm here now. You're here now. What do you want from me? What do you want to do? And then be obedient to where he leads you. Be thankful for what he's doing and just live in that moment. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and then pray. Father, I just thank you, God, for your grace that empowers us, Lord. God, to just reject, just reject, God, the world's interpretation of time. Father, that we have to constantly strive and work and be disappointed or worried or fretful. And God, we can embrace your wisdom and your vision for time, God, which is time in your hands, time in seasons, Lord, time in a place for everything that you have planned for our lives, and we can fully invest ourselves there. God, help us to do that, I pray. Lord, help us to do that. God, anyone that's struggling in this today, Father, I pray, God, you bring breakthrough. God, bring breakthrough. God, don't let them miss another moment. God, we can't afford to miss moments. Lord, there's people right now, God, that are along our way that need us to see them and to love them and to lift them. So God, I ask that you'd help us in this, Father. Help us through your grace to live like Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this. In your name, amen. Amen. A uh, couple of things. Uh, one, if you do struggle in this area, or you're wanting more breakthrough in this area, let me just tell you this. Practice practice. Don't walk out of here and say, oh, I'm going to be totally different now. I notice everything. You know, Sean Shetler, I don't know if he's here today. I didn't see him, but Sean Shetler is very, very good right now at noticing the moments. He'll send me a picture of a caterpillar, and he's like, picked up a caterpillar on a stick, and I helped it across the street. That's a real, that's a real text I got. I said, you did what? I picked up a caterpillar on a stick, and I helped it across the street. 
And then the next text, God's real, God's good. I'm like, wow. You may never take a moment that, that closely. You may never look that closely and experience moments like that. Get as close to it as you can. Because I think he's closer than most of us to where God really wants our heart. He wants us right there noticing what's going on and being a part of it. That's why he made things in such detail. So we could observe them. So we could be in them. So we could be a part of it. So as you go today, I just want you to know, practice. It's not going to change overnight. If you've been living one way, it takes time. But whenever the Holy Spirit works in your heart and says, slow down, just try to listen and slow down a little. Just listen and slow down a little. And let God work that in you. Okay, the other thing is that we have... um, the kids, make sure if you have kids that you go get them, check them out. And then always be inviting, guys. Because there's people that need to hear. There's people right now in your life who are being just ran senseless by Kronos. And they're going to end up being 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, looking back at their life and going, I should have spent more time with my kids. I should have invested more time there. Or they're going to be getting out of high school and saying, man, I wish I would have loved on some kids that were in my high school. I missed the opportunity. They don't have to live that way. But they need to hear that God has a different plan for them. And they do that by inviting them so they can hear what God's word says about life. They can hear it a different way, amen? All right, guys, have a good day. Thanks for being here. I love you guys. Have a great week. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.